Hello everyone, I'm Ashley Ragsdale, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. I am filling in today as our Prairie Doc Radio host. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. That's 605-692-1430. With us today to answer your medical questions is Dr. Kelly Evans-Hollinger. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works at the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Ashley. I feel like uh, I'm glad that all of the hugely negative temperatures are done. Yes. But I also hate that uh, the amount of snow that is being tracked into my house currently. (laughs) Yeah, it's a mess out there right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we've seen the last of these really bad days. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that winter... Uh, I always say, like our first winter here, it snowed in May, and I thought, yeah. why am I, why, why am I here? Don't we all ask ourselves those questions? I do. Come <laughs> at least April for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dr. Evans, this week the show is about addiction and recovery. Um, let's just start at the very basics. What is addiction? Yeah, I and I think we will probably spend some time on the show talk, just kind of defining terms that we're talking about because. There's ways that we use this just in, you know, normal speak that maybe are different than how we would use these terms medically. So obviously when we're talking about, I'll I'll use the wider term of substance use disorders, and that can apply to any substance that is brain altering. It's probably the most common thing we see around here would be alcohol, but other drugs as well. Um, there, there's, you know, a wide spectrum and there's normal substance, you know, quote, right. normal substance use of, of alcohol and other things that are not necessarily addiction, right? right? Addiction really by definition requires that substance use to be impacting other areas of a person's life. So okay. when a person is neglecting you know, responsibilities to their family or their job or, you know, prioritizing the use of that substance in some ways over those things that we would typically sort of keep as most important in our lives, that's when we would maybe call it addiction. How, and this is kind of a very broad question, how does someone become addicted? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot at play and we don't necessarily understand why some people are susceptible to this and some people are not, sure. right? I mean, there are, there are some people who can use excessive amounts of alcohol, for example, and not sort of get over that sure. that hump that would be addiction and sort of dependence on their drug of choice. Um, and then some people that do. And so there's, there's probably both genetic and environmental factors that affect that susceptibility. Um, but it, I, I would say it's it's not just one thing, but, but probably there are reasons that person A and person B have different susceptibilities that we are still trying to understand more about. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what like our addiction specialist, Dr. Anon, has to say about a question like that. When I was reading <clears throat> some statistics when it came to like addiction and, and um, recovery and like the CDC said like it's estimated one in 10 people are either affected by some form of addiction or it's in their house somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really big number. It is. And you know, it 
we 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 want to talk. We're, we're talking about this today and on the show tomorrow in sort of medical terms, but it's really difficult to separate this issue from just the uh, the human experience. Otherwise, right? right? Like addiction, by its very definition, affects how a person behaves and interacts with the rest of their life, and so it really it's it's hard. For the for the especially like a family member or friend that's affected right. by that to to see it fully as a medical thing because it really affects who that person is as a person as as that disorder alters their brain. Uh, let's let's go to our first break here, and we thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Give us a call now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like for us to address. Again, that number is 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from Avera Medical Group. Frostbite is a type of injury caused by freezing. It leads to a loss of feeling and color in the areas it affects, usually extremities, such as the nose, ears, cheeks, chin, fingers, and toes. Frostbite can permanently damage the body, and severe cases can lead to amputation. Frostbite should be checked by a health care provider. Call 697-9500 to see your provider at the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Ashley Ragsdale, and Dr. Evans is here to answer your medical questions. Give us a call with your questions at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, we had a question come in here. How many doctors at the Brookings Clinic can give cortisone shots? Okay, so that's, I'll make some presumptions about this question. The most, sort of probably the most common thing that people would be asking about would be cortisone shots in the joints. So like in the knee or the shoulder. Um, And, you know, the answer is kind of, it depends on where the injection is. Um, We do have full-time orthopedics now. So Dr. Driesender, I don't recall. He was on on the the show show here before. Yeah. Right. So, so the, the orthopedists do a large percentage of those joint injections anymore. Um, I don't, I couldn't say, if I had to guess, I would guess there's maybe three or five primary care docs who are able to do some of those joint injections in our clinic. For example, I used to do knee and shoulder injections when I first started. I did a lot of those in residency. Then when we got orthopedics, it became so uncommon for me to need to do it that I hardly ever do it anymore. And honestly, I tell my patients like, could I do it? Yeah, in a pinch, but... I'm doing so few of them now that probably you want someone who's doing it more often than me to do it. So it it's pro- it might be a little bit in flux just based on sort of the specialty coverage that we've had. Could you call over to the clinic and they would know yes. who does that? Yes, so. yep, absolutely. So, you know, you can either talk to your primary about it right. um, and ask them if they're able to do it, or you should be able to get an answer from someone at the clinic by phone too. Sure. Yeah. So, easy thing just to call over yes. there and and, yep. and see who does it easy enough to get sorted out mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if we move back to addiction um treatment what yeah. are it, i mean addiction is a lot of things right i know that it's easy to think about it as alcohol and drug mm-hmm. just because that's kind of what's talked about most sure but um treatment for addiction if we pivot to just alcohol yeah so you know, it's interesting as we sort of evolve our understanding of addiction and a lot of evolution has happened, right, in the last 10 to 20 years of, of what this is, 
we do have effective medical treatments. Um, I would say when it comes to addiction and substance use disorders, the most effective treatment is doing more than just medical treatment, right? Sure. Like counseling and focusing on some of the underlying factors that might push a given person to relapse sure. um, are extremely important. So I would I would never recommend not doing counseling. That being said, not everybody is sort of ready to jump in and do that. So sometimes it, it's very dependent on what how the patient sort of wants this to go. Um, so, you know, when it comes to alcohol use disorders, we do have some effective treatments that help reduce alcohol use back when i was a student like the best that we had was an old medication called disulfiram or antabuse is the old name for it and that's the pill that you take a few times a day and if if you've taken the pill and then you go drink it will make you ill nauseous and vomit so it's kind of a deterrent that way that being said if you if you just decide that morning well i'm not going to take this pill then it does nothing right you have to make that decision yeah you have to make that decision every day and so not always that effective, especially in the long term. Um, we have things that are more effective now. So um, we kind of have a couple of choices. The one that I use most often um, in in my patients who want to address alcohol use disorders is one called naltrexone. And interestingly, naltrexone actually was developed first as, as it's sort of an opioid antagonist, meaning it blocks some of those receptors. But in alcohol use disorders, it seems to reduce the amount of alcohol use. So it it may not, I tell my patients, it may not make you stop drinking entirely, but it kind of takes the binge drinking factor out of it. So what my patients who've had success with that medication tell me is, it's so crazy. You know, I, I went and I drank my first beer and normally that would lead to me drinking 12 beers but I just didn't want to go back for the second or third one. one. And, and so in that respect, I think, you know, some, some of our philosophy about treating addiction, it's variable, right? Like we have this whole background of system, including things like Alcoholics Anonymous and some of these other 12 step programs in which sobriety is king, you know, like, and, and that's, that can be true for some people, you know, like being 100% sober is important. For some people, though, reducing sort of those most risky behaviors are really like drinking one beer is way better than drinking 12 beers, right? right. And so don't let's not make perfect the enemy of good, I guess, if, if you would, if you could share that philosophy. And so we have treatments that can help people sort of manage through that. I know that uh, in the essay this week, we have a, um, a therapist who mm-hmm. works specifically with um, addiction disorders, uh, a lot of drug and alcohol addiction, talks about how you really need to want to get the help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also part of the challenge, right? Is Absolutely. And, and so, and, and sometimes... Sometimes the patient themselves doesn't have great insight into how much it's affecting their lives. And and sometimes it's loved ones who really push them to seek help. Um, and sometimes it is sort of a rock bottom situation that has resulted in a big loss for that person, be it job, family, or something else that, that really requires that. Sometimes we, we get patients when they've been in the court system because of their addiction right. and, and really um, that makes them more ready for change. But you're right. It does re- like it requires some intrinsic self-motivation to because this is hard. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The, the reason 
relapse rates are high is because this is a hard thing to overcome. It's it's doable. It absolutely is. Um, and but you 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 probably need some help. It's very hard to do on your own. I, I have a friend that um, struggled with alcohol right after mm-hmm. college uh, and has been sober for a good fifteen years, but still goes weekly to alcohol and yes, yeah, yeah, just because they feel like that's something that they need mm-hmm. um, that's helped them right. to be able to do those kind of things, right. And and those thing what those things are isn't necessarily the same for every person. I think right. like accepting that you know for for so long all we had was Alcoholics Anonymous, and for some you know I've had some patients come to me and they're like I've tried that you know and some of it might maybe it's the religious aspect of some right. of those programs like just don't jive with people and and then they really feel like they're lost like well like how am I going to do this when that's what everyone recommends and so knowing that they're there's not one path to this for everybody I think is really important too well and I think sometimes there's a lot of when I was reading about it uh, and there still is with a lot of things is like there's a stigma with that too absolutely Mm -hmm. and whether that's what's keeping you from getting help or that's what started it all in the first place Mm -hmm. like that's also a, a big hurdle that they have to overcome as absolutely well. and and some of how strong that stigma is depends a lot on you know demographic family factors a little bit but th- it's there for everybody I mean you know nobody's immune to the fact that it's very difficult to admit that you're struggling with a substance use disorder what kind of support systems or what should family members or friends be doing to help those that are looking for recovery from addiction? Yeah, this it's such a hard position to be in. Again, it's really difficult to watch your loved ones struggle through some of these things. Um, and some substance use disorders, of course, are like very dangerous for a person's health. So we find loved ones that are worried. But if, if that person isn't kind of ready to seek help, it's, it puts loved ones in a really difficult place. Um, So I think knowing what resources are available in the community, I think you have to continue to kindly push your loved one toward that, knowing that you can't, it's not all in your control, you know, if you're the spouse or the child or the parent of someone struggling with this, it's just, it can't be all in your control. So, um, which is again, a hard thing to accept. But you got to know what's available in your community so that if and when your loved one, you know, maybe it's the 20th time that you try to talk to them about it and maybe they're ready and you know where to where to get them to to get them linked to help. It's also, I think, hard, especially in today's society, too. It's not a quick fix. No, <clears throat> it's not. It's it, it is. It, it requires a long period of work. And for some people, that's sort of a lifetime. Mm hmm. Uh, It's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like for us to address. We will return following this informative message from Avera Medical Group. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in the United States. Cigarette smoking is the number one cause of lung cancer, but it can also be caused by other forms of tobacco like t- pipes and cigars or breathing secondhand smoke or being exposed to asbestos or radon. We also are concerned with people who have a family history of lung cancer. Lung cancer symptoms may include coughing that gets worse and doesn't go away, chest pain, shortness of breath, wheezing, and coughing up blood. Other illnesses that can cause these, these symptoms 
should be investigated as well. If you have any symptoms, talk to your doctor. For help to quit smoking, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit cdc.gov quit. Your provider at the Avera Medical Group is a good resource to discuss lung symptoms. Call 697-9500 for an appointment. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Ashley Ragsdale, and Dr. Evans is here to answer your medical questions. Give us a call with your questions at 605-692-1430. So before the break, Dr. Evans, we were talking about alcohol, <clears throat> but drugs are other problem. Of course. Um, uh, one of our guests for our show tomorrow night, Dr. Tamang, is out in Rapid City. Mm-hmm. He's part of a group called Project Recovery that deals a lot with opioid ad- abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked, I was looking up at opioid statistics, and it says in South Dakota, opioid deaths have increased since 2012, and nearly 75% of all drug overdoses deaths in 2022 involved an opioid. That's a lot. It is. So what's an opioid? Yeah. So, you know, when we're talking about, we met, we had mentioned earlier, you know, and some of these aren't just life affecting, but very dangerous. So an opioid... That's a class of drugs. And so we use these in prescription drugs at times, right? Right. So um, I'll just sort of name a a few on the spectrum of opioids that people have probably heard of. So morphine's an opioid. Hydrocodone and oxycodone are commonly medically used opioids. Fentanyl is an opioid that we use in the medical setting frequently, but also people hear about in the lay media as something that is being found in street drugs as well. And then, you know, heroin would be sort of the classic street opioid, but that has been in flux, right? So that used to be kind of what what you could find on the street now people buy all of these drugs on right. the street right the the um the oxycodone and um, fentanyl containing products and, and all that stuff they all affect receptors in the brain called mu receptors and create this the high that people seek with it the danger with them and the reason they're a common common cause of drug overdose is that if you take too much of it it depresses the brain's drive to breathe um so it depresses the respiratory center people stop breathing or slow their breathing enough that they die of respiratory failure while they're asleep basically um this risk is greatly increased if you use it with another class of drugs called benzodiazepines so these are other drugs that we again use medically but also you can find on the street so drugs like lorazepam or ativan alprazolam or xanax um clonazepam or clonopin, valium that's that class of drugs that again we are kind of older drugs that we use for anxiety or sedation if you pair that up with an opioid they both have the same effect and so it it, you know especially for for patients who get prescribed both of those medications concurrently that risk really goes up um i also read there's um uh, I think it was the federal government had a lawsuit out against um, opioid manufacturers, mm-hmm. just the amount of uh, that they were pushing out there. And South Dakota is one of the states that's receiving a benefit from mm-hmm. that. But um, one of the labs out in Rabbit City that um, one of the crime labs that tests for uh, drugs in their systems and said there's a 250 percent increase in fentanyl that they're testing. Mm-hmm. People are testing positive for. Yeah. Um, 
are people just making these drugs? Are they prescription yeah. drugs? Yeah, so probably the, the drugs that, you're, that we're talking about testing are samples that they get so, sort of from street samples. Sure. And so fentanyl, um, fentanyl is unique in that it's very potent. So when we prescribe it in the medical setting, for example, like if I prescribe because of post-operative pain or something like that and we prescribe a lot less of the stuff now than we did 20 years ago as you're talking about sort of when some of these drugs came out they got pushed a lot harder that being said the the dosing for fentanyl is like hundreds of times lower than it is for oxycodone hydrocodone so it takes a speck of fentanyl to have a very potent effect which is why it's very dangerous when it's in street drugs and while you know as we talk about that, what people might see things in, in the media and stuff are, are things about, you know, I would say the, the global effort at harm reduction. So for patients who are actively using opioids, what can we do to reduce their risk of death, you know, sure. at that time? So one of those are, is things like fentanyl testing. So fentanyl testing strips are, are things that some states sort of you know state governments are struggling with like how to make these things legal so that you know we know that people are out there using drugs how do we reduce their risk of death when they're in these risky times and and so watching for fentanyl and products would be one of those ways what about recovery from opioids yeah. i know that's a big deal for um dr Tomang's mm-hmm. project recovery um and, and and i think the article talked about they are seeing 500 or so people every two weeks Mm -hmm. like yeah what what are we so the need is there i mean like whether we see it or not in our day-to-day lives there are a lot of people out there struggling with that and so you're right the spectrum of is wide on like how people get addicted to opioids and and it you know we'll we'll move beyond that to address your question the good news is that we actually have really effective treatments for this right now so you know years ago all we had um you may have heard of methadone clinics so like yeah i trained um in Denver, Colorado. So in big cities, you'll still see methadone clinics where people who have enrolled in the program to to try and get off opioids go every day. You have to go to a window every day, check in, get your dose of methadone and take it. So it it's requires a lot. Like you have to physically be at the methadone clinic every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to get your treatment. And that's effective. Methadone is also an opioid. It's long acting. And for various reasons, it helps people we, avoid. Wean off. Yeah, of exactly. That. Get off of the street drugs. Um, more, what we're using now and, and what I think Dr. Tamang does a lot of is um, medication called buprenorphine is the generic name. Suboxone is one of the trade names for it. Basically, these are drugs that sort of partially activate that mu receptor um, and, and sort of decrease that sort of physical need to seek opioids. Um, It's a pill that you take every day, so you can prescribe it in 30-day increments, and people take it like a normal medication. Um, And it's very effective, very, very effective for something that otherwise is very hard to help people get off of. And part of the reason is that opioid withdrawal is extremely uncomfortable. Um, It's a very unpleasant thing to go through. Well, and I think for, you know, opioids in general, like we think of drug addicts as a certain way right we're thinking inner city problems Mm -hmm. that kind of thing but this is something that affects our small rural towns 100 percent and and is quite frankly like it's a problem in south dakota Mm -hmm. um 
how do we address this type of issue? Yeah, I think what most people would say is we have to make treatment more accessible because you're right. Like, um, we can't make treatment only accessible in our big city hubs, right? right. Like, then, then we miss so many people who could benefit from help. Right. Um, so part of that is um, it's changing now. When buprenorphine first came out, it required a special certification. Like, I couldn't prescribe buprenorphine up until just the last year. So that has changed um, in its FDA designation. And, and so the hope is that ability to seek someone who can, who can help you with that will become more widespread. But again, ideally, it's multidisciplinary, right? We have right. drug counselors and, and, and people helping with other aspects of that person's life, but, but there won't be such a big barrier to the medical assisted treatment as well. It's time for us to go for our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We have just a few minutes left for you to call in with your questions at 605 692 1430. We will return following this informative message from Avera Medical Group. Did you know that someone in the United States has a heart attack every 40 seconds? A heart attack happens when a part of the heart muscle doesn't get enough blood. You might hear a heart attack called an MI or myocardial infarction. The more time that passes without treatment to restore blood flow, the greater the damage to the heart muscle. If you have pain in your chest, call for help. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Ashley Ragsdale, and Dr. Evans is here to answer our medical questions. So our show tomorrow, so we have a, <clears throat> a doctor from Rapid City that does a lot of opioid, mm-hmm. but Dr. Anand does a lot of the hard work as well mm-hmm. where we're talking about therapy and counseling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that important? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One is that, of course, for most people who have struggled with addiction and are trying to have that treated, um, that behavior has infiltrated every piece of your life, right? Like your you, your work and family life has changed to evolve around how, how do you still sort of fulfill the need for whatever substance it is. So not changing the other aspects of your life puts you at risk for not being successful in the long term. And I would also say, you know, the, the essay that... Um, that counselor wrote for us this week, which I I loved, talked a lot about about sort of having to change your environment to be successful, right? Right. Like change your playground, she said. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, a lot of people who are struggling with addiction might even go into an inpatient setting for a 30 or 90 day treatment program. Do we have those here in South Dakota? Yes, yes. And maybe we can talk to Dr. Anand about what those are tomorrow. Um, But if you come out of that 30 day program and go right back to the exact same environment, the reality is a lot of people relapse and so using those counselors and to help sort of guide how can I change and adapt the structure of my life to help that not be a part of it and or help that temptation not be a part of it is important. So we're talking about habits right? Right. And like that's 
And this works for any sort of addiction, mm-hmm. whether it's gambling addiction or right. drugs, alcohol, or anything. It's mm-hmm. finding a way to break that habit, which is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, yeah, it's hard for the most basic things, right? right. The, the most basic and less harmful things. So, um, And then you throw into the mix that you know addiction really makes your brain think about that substance all the time for some people. You know, that's very hard. And then I would also say... As, as far as the counseling aspect, a lot of people who struggle with addiction also have other underlying mental health disorders, right? right? Be it depression, anxiety, or more severe things like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and other things. And if we're not treating those things, then we are not going to do that patient the best service, and, and they'll be at risk for sort of try, try, find, finding ways to sort of soothe and self-medicate that yeah, I have they have f- access to <clears throat> I have a friend whose older brother um, did some LSD mm-hmm. in college that uh, affected him to have eventually schizophrenia mm-hmm. and like still struggles mm-hmm. with all of those things mm-hmm. because of um, like it just is it's kind of a never ending cycle for him. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Anything else that we need to think about before tomorrow night's show? I think no. it'll be a good conversation. Yeah, and please send in your questions. No question is 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 off off limits here. We'll try to answer them to the best of our abilities. But we know that this affects a lot of people, and so we hope it can be helpful. I just want to remind people, too, that it's anonymous. If yes. you don't want to give your name or any sort of information, while well, we'd love to have you get a gift, um, you don't have to do that in yep. any of our shows, too. So. Before we go, please tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, January 25th, Prairie Doc host Dr. Kelly Evans-Hollinger and guest Dr. Vivek Anan from Avera Medical Group Behavioral Health and Dr. Stephen Tamang from Project Recovery and Monument Health in Rapid City. They uh, talk with us to take viewer questions about addiction and recovery. Tune in tomorrow at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program, and we will listen again to Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. For free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library, visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.